Hello, I'm Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to or watching Radio Maine. Today, I have with me in the studio artist Liz Prescott. Nice to have you here today. Yes, thank you, Lisa. Happy to be here. I understand that you and I are essentially neighbors. You live in Freeport. We're obviously here in Yarmouth, and you've been in Freeport for quite a while now. Yes, since 1995, and I absolutely love it. I love the proximity to Portland and all the culture, and I love going into the mountains easily and biking, running right out my door. It is a lovely spot And out it's there. a beautiful community, the Freeport community, and as soon as I had children... I realized just how close it was. You know, it went before children, I and my kids are now 15 and 19, I was oriented more to Portland. I had a store in the Old Port, and I had I went to Maine College of Art, and I worked out there. And as soon as I had children, it just opened up. I immediately started meeting more people, and it's just a beautiful place I don't want to leave. Well, Liz, tell me about uh, our shared Vermont connection. I mean, you can't oh. tell me about my side of it, but you can tell me about your side of it. How how okay. how did you end up um, coming from Vermont to Maine? I know you have a Rhode Island connection. Yes. You've been in Portsmouth. You seem like you've been out to Colorado, but you've definitely got New England covered. Yeah, I've lived in every state in New England except Connecticut, and then my son went to school to finish up high school in in. Um, at South Kent. So I feel like I've covered all the states. I was born in Providence. My parents went to Rhode Island School of Design. Um, and then um, I, they didn't stay together. So I divided my time between Worcester, Massachusetts and Woodstock, Vermont, where my mother was. And I just, although I was in Worcester through ninth grade, I was always in love with Vermont. It was where I wanted to be. And I spent my summers there and learned to ski. Um, and then I went on to... Um, lived there for a bit in high school, uh, graduated in Massachusetts, but went to University of Vermont. So, you know, I kept cycling around. We still have close, close family friends in Vermont. So I'm up there regularly in the Middlebury area and Burlington. Yeah. It's okay. always in my heart. So northern New England is really where I love to be. And I went to the University of Vermont for medical school. So that's, okay. And I was actually born in Burlington. Oh, so you there's okay. my connection there. Yeah. Yes. Excellent medical school. Yes. And great liberal arts school. So. Yeah, absolutely. And you did your master's degree also in Vermont, but not University of Vermont. Yes, right. So, right. So I graduated from UVM and went to out west and came to Portsmouth. My boyfriends had connections around there, fell in love with Portsmouth lived there for seven years. Um, but, uh, yeah, went to Maine College of Art when I moved up to Portland and then got a low residency master's, uh, from Vermont College, which was wonderful. So I'd go to Montpelier and do intensive 10 day intensives and then come back and work locally with a mentor. Uh, one was a professor at Wellesley in the printmaking department. She was wonderful. Um, and some local artists, Gail Spain and it was a fantastic experience. I have the sense that um, the process of being an artist and the creative process, um, those are very important to you. And, uh, yeah, and it's my life. And passing, and also passing on the um, artistic, I don't even want to say education, but experience. Um, yeah, yeah. You do a lot of this work. Yeah, so I started teaching. One of my friends, uh, Catherine Bickford from uh, Art Artiscope, she encouraged me to um, start teaching for her way back. My son was a couple of years old, and I thought, oh, I'm not sure. If coming out of my master's, I thought, ah, I'm, I'm much more of a process-based artist. I'm not a technical, uh, conceptual that I would teach maybe at the college level. It's because so many of these programs are very, very conceptual 
So I didn't pursue the teaching part. So Catherine pulled me in and I was teaching, you know, to, to basically people that didn't paint early on in life, but want to learn how to do it and adults. Um, and I just really fell in love with it. It's so reciprocal. Um, right now I'm teaching online through Winslow Art Center out in Seattle um, in the middle of a class right now. And I just love it. And we've all adapted to this online format. So, you know, we have our new, our feed where they post their work and I respond and everybody can jump in. Um, and I learn as much, you know, as, as they are. I'm color mixing, doing things that I need to do for my own work that kind of jump starts me because we all get stuck kind of in patterns in our lives and I'll use the same colors and teaching I'm getting out of that and going, oh, well, maybe I should pick up that, uh, you know, ultramarine violet, something like that. So, yeah, and I just, I like the connection with people too. It's a lot of time alone painting uh, and I am I am introverted. I, I, I'm an only child, so it's easy for me to be alone for long periods, uh, but it's important to be connected too. And I, I have that need as well. So, And that's one thing that drew me to Portland Art Gallery is I, the community. I keep hearing that again and again. And I see it at the openings like, this is really fun. So, yeah, so that's so the balance of teaching, time alone, and then being with people. That's, that's important to me. And uh, did I answer the question? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, there's no wrong answers, really. No. Because it's really about your process and your educational um, endeavors. So I guess, you know, as a non-visual artist, uh, I when you say words like um, technical and conceptual, like I know people who are watching or listening, they may actually have a background in art, but because I continue to be an art learner myself, I have a sense technical is sort of these are the things, these are ways that you do things, and these are some of the materials you can use. Is that... Mm -hmm somewhat right yeah technical might not have been the right word it was more conceptual theoretical um work i just find i am more process-based which can be very technical but that can be more formal which is formal meaning about the paint itself how you apply the paint how the colors come together the the theory and the mixing um and rather than it can, it can be painting anything I'm not, I'm not, I don't start necessarily with the idea that drives the work. So the subject could be just about anything. Really, the subject is paint for me and color, if that helps to answer a little bit. So, yeah. So I'm, 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 I'm more traditional in my subject matter. It, people can recognize the farm field, the water. There's a hint of a boat. That's why you only see hints of boats in my work generally is that I don't want it to be about that boat, the object, the kind of the cuter main scene. I, I'm much more interested because I just see so much of it. I, I, I'm interested in how the colors come together, the reflection coming off it, the feel of the place, the more of the emotional experience. And I certainly could have gone to college and taught that, you know, as a college a professor and uh, aspired to that. I guess I... I uh, sometimes just get bogged down in the theoretical part of it all and just want to be doing and and um yeah there's no right or wrong like you said it's just i don't know if that answered it what you you needed but yeah not being an artist i'm sure that words pop up themes ideas you're like hmm, what is that 
Yeah, I mean, for me, what I love about having these conversations is that I, I'm continuing to build my own vocabulary around this. And so when you say something, you're more conceptual, for example, like what, what, what does that mean as you're doing your own work or as you're teaching? So I'm more process-based. So you're more process-based. Yeah, less about the ideas driving the work, whether um, more about the feeling and the emotion in the paint and the interaction and an intuitive response to the work. That makes sense. Okay. So you're more process-oriented, and people who are more conceptual, that's more... Many just leap right away from painting altogether. Uh, you know, um, I'm not coming up with a good idea, right, and a thought right now, but um, whether you, you know, you might be environmentally focused and maybe you're collecting um, elements and residue from the ocean and it's compiled and it gets molded into a sculpture of some sort that may not be beautiful in any way. I guess I am, I am a bit driven by beauty. That then, and, and so, yeah, so I'm more, maybe more traditional in that sense. Um, yeah. And I still like traditional subjects. I like landscape. Um, I do like a horizon. I think that's meditative. You know, we're all drawn to, often what we, we come to painting for initially what draws us in and I did love the landscape, earth to sky, is what we spend our lives trying to figure out. So that's kind of where I am. Yeah, that makes sense. And living in Maine, obviously it's all around. So I guess I, str I love to straddle the line between abstraction and representation. So that's why I love these water reflections, because I can really be abstract and uh, just let my intuition go and play and explore more then um, I, I get it too much in my head if I have a building in there, you know? And that that's a good challenge, actually. How do you, and I love architecture in the landscape, but how do you not make it too building-like, too object, too? Um, is it often the quality of light hitting a, a plane is, is really what's fantastic? Or maybe the edges can dissolve completely. Um, that's a good challenge. But uh, it's, it's certainly the colors and the light of the landscape, yeah. I'm about to go out west. You made me think of this mm. uh, to paint out in New Mexico. So very different landscape, different quality of light, vastness of the sky. Yeah, I think I remember talking to Jean Jack, one of our other artists, yeah. and, and she talked a lot about the different light that exists in other parts of the country and where she has also lived and how it has impacted her art. It drives us. Several of my teachers from Maine College of Art, Johnny Ross, Glenn Rennell, who I just listened to on an art chat at Winslow Art Center last night, which was fantastic. Johnny and Glenn just headed out west, and it was for the light to New Mexico and Arizona, um, and George O'Keefe. You know, who was was the artist I was first exposed to by my stepmother? She just really loved George O'Keefe's simplicity, um, and I would look at the George O'Keefe paintings. I just remember the skull, like oh, actually, no, it was a hip, hip bone of, you know, a cow left in the desert, whatever, all bleached out by the sun and then the uh, the, the um, sky behind and the landscape in the distance and the subtle modeling and shifting. And I, I was just blown away. Um, now, seeing her as an adult, I, I, I value George O'Keefe's um, contribution to art and how difficult it was in such a man's world you know, modernism, and she had to paint big, and she painted her flowers, and then she got criticized for all the sexual content that must be there. And, you know, um, 
And so her, her work is very controlled, but it, it had a huge influence on me. Then I loved the abstract expressionist, Robert Rauschenberg. My mother coming out of art school really was into Rauschenberg. Um, and he was all about, you know, collage and throwing elements in and everyday paint and paint from wherever. And I love that gestural stroke too. So those worlds kind of come together for me. Um, so I'm excited to go out West and experiment that way too. So I'm um, playing with color. I'm thinking about the big space and light uh, and seeing what I can do. And I, I won't be working real large, but I can come back and do larger pieces. Uh, it, it can be funny though, because that subject matter can look out of, feel out of place here in Maine, right? <laughs> it's a very different quality of light and color palette here. Yeah, it's true. And, and having been at the Portland Art Gallery and some people's pieces are very main focused and other people's are not as main focused. And it is interesting to see how they sometimes go together and sometimes seem like they go together a little bit less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's wonderful. And I really have been more of a main painter recently because of my scenes. I've loved the working waterfront and, um, you know, boats and docks and uh, but really just as, as avenues, as vehicles into playing with paint and line and form. So we'll see what happens when I go out west. That's, I've been, this has kind of been brewing around in my head, like, you know, what am I going to take from it? It certainly will be rich and rewarding, and I'm going to be with five other painters, so that'll be wonderful. I'm actually scoping out for workshops to do at Ghost Ranch in upcoming years, because I like to paint plein air workshops and do them, lead them. Uh, so I, I'm curious to see what I'll come up with. And you have a Monhegan connection. Yeah, I just started going there. Um, my my stepmother and her husband, after, second husband, um, were married out there. And they just fell in love with it. And so therefore I did. They exposed me to it. And how can you not fall in love with Monhegan? So it'll be my 10th season teaching workshops out there. This year I'll be there for two weeks. I treated and rented my a house in June, as well as the one I always rent in August. The one in June is right in the harbor, and I'll offer a two-day workshop, and then I'll just be there painting the rest of the time with some other painter friends and family. So yay, I'm very excited. The other one is Scudic at, at Acadia. Again, through um, word of mouth, someone saying, it's beautiful, you ought to check it out. Uh, have you been there yourself? It, it's spectacular. And you look across Frenchman's Bay from the Scudic Peninsula to Mount Desert. So that's been another popular one. And I just, again, I, I get fed by that being in nature. I'm not necessarily the best plein air painter. I see them as sketches and studies. I'm really a studio painter. Um, when I say not the best, it's not, it's not my real focus, but I just love being outside. And, you know, I know how to do it well enough and get people out there and convening with nature. And then we go back to our studios and we see what it's, you know, what, what, um, fodder we have. When you are with artists and um, kind of working side by side, what what types of things do you get out of the interaction? Do you look at one another's work? Do you yes. kind of think about, um, do people make suggestions? Do oh, they, yeah. How, how does that work? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of back and forth. Um, and some people might have more experience than others. And sometimes I'll go into a little more of a teaching mode if they are asking me to do that. Um, but yeah, we definitely feed off of each other and just be together in the environment. My favorite thing about being, painting plein air 
is I, I don't really care what I come up with because it often is it's challenging. You've got wind, you've got heat, you've got bright sun, the light is changing, but it's you you're in the zone, you're in the flow. If all is going well, and the bugs aren't, but you know you're not getting too much trouble um, with a, like a gale, um, and you are just hearing things around you. Oh, it's really wonderful. You're hearing the water lapping, people walking by, birds, whatever it is. It's really magical. Um, so in terms of interacting with other artists, yeah, that's we're just all being there together, having that experience. And we do. We'll, we'll definitely talk technical. Is that working? Or, um, and it's great to do. And we have good laughs and yeah, well, why don't we try this, try that color or, you know, push this. It's a lot about the basics of painting value that's too dark and colors colors are it's so bright outside generally that colors will um appear uh lighter or whatever they'll, they'll be darker when we get inside so we need to be careful we don't paint too dark so we'll discuss things like that yeah that's interesting i hadn't really thought about that before yes and especially if you're working acrylics and now acrylics mm -hmm. outside are very difficult i work with slow drying acrylics but acrylics dry darker too so you come in and your painting just looks dark and dead. You have, or you have to go in and brighten it up. I know in talking with architects, a lot of attention is paid to the light that comes in through the windows and how it yeah. changes a room. And I had never really thought about if you're painting something outside, when you bring it inside, then the light on the inside is not going to make it look the same as on right? the outside. Right. So we end up having it be darker than... We want it inside because we're out in that bright light. And then uh, the light can be changing while you're painting it. That's incredibly difficult. Or I've been painting boats, you know, in Monhegan Harbor, and then the, in comes the fisherman, lobsterman, and off he goes in his boat. You have to be ready for that. Suddenly your subject is gone. Yeah, I noticed that you've, you do use a lot of reflection and you do a lot of work with water. And of course, that's something that you can capture, but it's it's only going to be that way for some fairly short period of time, I would think. Yeah, yeah. I use reference photos as a jumping off point too. So I'll work on site and then I use those reference photos and I really veer from them. I, I can paint it just like I see in that photo, but I, that's not my goal, right? It, it, I have to be careful of that too. Um because I, I need to add whatever is making it unique to me. Yeah, but, but it is, water is always changing, but there's so much there. And it's so wonderful, like the docks in Portland, at, um, down at Custom Wharf and um, Harbor Fish, and the reflection off those old buildings into the water is spectacular. Oh, I was in the Portland show at Green Hut last year with some of the paintings from there, and I just, they were some of my favorites. I may go back and revisit and people responded to them, so that was that was exciting. Um, yeah, always changing and um, lots of room to play. Mm. So, I love playing, playing with paint. Well, that's good to hear because I think that one of the things that I often hear from artists is that is work that that oh, art yeah. is work. So I love the idea that it can be work, but also you can be playing while you work because that's not something that everybody gets to do in their work is to play. Right. We have to often make a conscious effort to play. So, and actually I used this quote by Picasso that I happened to find in an art book for my class that started this Wednesday. And he said, I'll just not verbatim, but um, 
that every child is an artist and the, the, the challenge, the goal is to continue being a child as you continue as an artist. And it's so hard to do. We get in our heads and I have to remember that, oh, this is supposed to be fun and play. I don't, this doesn't have to be torturous, but you have to do the work. That's the other thing that I tell students and myself. You have to show up each day. You can't just kind of, you really can't be a Sunday painter and get where you want to go if you're really trying to go somewhere with it. It's a practice, just like learning piano, yoga, etc. So, So finding, like eking out time for the studio is super important. And I boy, you have to be careful. Even just jumping on the phone for a minute, you know, you get a text or whatever, I have to structure my day and really put that phone away and don't run over and do that email real quick, but make sure that I show up in the studio. Because also, it, it, you, you don't just sit down and like make that cutting board or whatever. It, you don't know. You, may, you often have to make a lot of mess and mistakes to get to the beautiful ones. One of my teachers, Glenn Rennell, that I just listened to yesterday, I haven't seen him in years, but um, he was talking about that too. There are many, many failures. So you do a whole bunch in a series and the gems will pop out at you, right? And then there'll be always be some that just aren't good. Picasso had them, all, everybody, all the painters. But you don't realize that, especially when you're starting out. You think every painting should be amazing or you're a failure. Well, isn't that somewhat the way that we're raised yes. is to think that we all should be immediately perfect. Pro and product oriented. Myself too. That's one of the things I preach in the plein air classes is these are sketches. These are learning. You know, these can be thrown away. We often do them just on paper. So they're not precious. Yeah. We want to come away with something and we want to feel that we're going to be really good. And that's just, it's a winding road. I remember when I was younger and I took a pottery class and the cost of the clay was extra. And so being that I came from a large family, I didn't want my mom to have to pay for extra clay. So I would sit here and look at this clay and I was so concerned about my thing not being perfect that I think I made very, very few items and probably ended up with a big mound of clay left over because right. I, I didn't want to use up what yes. I didn't think I could make perfect. You were programmed, right? And you didn't want to waste, right? All of that. And that makes total sense. And it's the frugal New Englander. Vermonter. Yes. <laughs> this is another thing that I preach and, and I don't have a problem with is, um, but it took me time, is don't skimp on paint. You cannot skimp on paint and paint is expensive. You know, maybe start with less expensive paint, but of course the best paint is much better, a better product generally. Um, yeah, you, ha you have to, I throw away a lot of paint. I've let that go. Well, that's good to hear. But coming, yeah, coming from a big family, and it is, it's very expensive. It, it makes total sense. You would make this very tiny little pot and not waste. <laughs> and it was probably perfect. Well, I mean, also, I remember at the time I had twin sisters who took the class with me, and both of whom were probably a little bit more artistically inclined, or at least in my mind. Yeah my young mind at the time. And I'm probably getting into some deep psychology. Oh, I'm sure. Be competition of family. Yeah, let's yeah, dig into there's this. There's a lot. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and they actually ended up getting more clay because they finished up all their clay. And oh, I they, love it. They got more clay. And I was like, but wait, I, I'm trying uh, to, I'm trying, because they was the oldest, you know. You were the, oh, well, that's, yeah. that explains it. Yeah, it explains Absolutely. a lot. Absolutely. Right. You had a lot of weight on your shoulders. Yeah. 
But I think that it does that sort of thing and that story is something that I, I suspect a lot of people struggle with when it comes to very much creativity so. and giving themselves sort of almost permission to do something yes. that they don't, that is, quote, not necessary. Mm-hmm. Although being creative, I would argue, is as necessary to us as humans as really anything mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. That this book that I'm so into, Rob, Rob, um, Rick Rubin's The Creative um, Act, A Way of Being, talk so much about that, that we are all artists, that are, you know, being human is, and everything, all our choices are self-expression and creative. Um, but yeah, and that we just have, we have different personalities. We have to allow ourselves to make failures, make mistakes. This is, I mean, painting is definitely psychology and some therapy uh, as teachers, you know, you dig into that. What's going on in your head? I love it when people are like, this is awful. I hate this. And I found students ripping up their work. And I make sure we have a good laugh about it. Like, it's okay. This is part of the process. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing to think about and what we maybe hand down to our own children without even realizing it because of some way that we've had this kind of deeply ingrained and not even necessarily from our parents, but maybe it's just the culture that we live in. Maybe it's the frugal New Englander culture that we come from. Yeah, definitely people have trouble putting a lot of pain out and you need to in order to do well. So that that is absolutely, whether it's the New England thing, I I don't think it's just New England. Sure. (laughs) You know, we know it's expensive, so, Um, but we have to allow that. Yeah, yeah. So I've got, I've, you know, just, I've been painting now for 25 years and drawing since I was a kid and doing watercolor and things. Um, So you just, you learn over time how to loosen up what you need. Um, I, I love podcasts that are about creativity and, you know, people in, in general learning about, especially creatives, how they get work through these challenges. Um, so over time, it's gotten better now I'm in my 50s and I'm, I'm just better to myself. I don't beat up on myself as much. I trust the process more. What are some of your biggest learnings and how have you managed to get to this place? Yeah, um, I think... Um, well, I've always worked very small, so like learning to work bigger. And I don't know what that was about me, but it's funny you say that, Lisa, like when you were a kid and you were very careful with your sisters, maybe not. But I loved little, little things. I always loved little animal figurines and little little boxes. And sure enough, I made little paintings, but it's probably just good. And um, it's a metaphor for me, just opening up. Going bigger has been a, something I've, I've learned to do. And you're, you have more to say, you know? And also that's where I get into, oh God, I don't like this. And what do I do with this thing? You know, and they start to accumulate <laughs> and I do have a fair amount of those. So I've learned that one, another important thing for me, and I do have trouble because I'm a pretty active person. It's hard to sit down, um, writing, just, just taking time and journaling and getting the process, getting out what's in my head. And so that I'm a little more open when I go to paint. That's a really good thing. And in general, painting just calms me right down and centers me too. So it's really helpful. So I've, I've, that, I've, I've learned to allow that. So it sounds a little bit like the, the idea of the morning pages, the Julia yeah. Cameron That's approach, right. where you get things out and then you, you, yeah. you're able to kind of enter into a space that's a little bit more freed up. Yes. Not just a little, a lot. I do follow her. I came back around because I had listened to a podcast of hers, had her book forever, didn't really follow the daily pages. And then thought, oh, I need to do this again. You know, and again, I come and go, but I'm like, okay, I'm not going to beat myself up on that. That's all right. But in general, what I was just learning in another um, 
thing I was reading, listening to, um, actually is the chiropractor from Yarmouth on 207, just talking about our journaling in general, activating different parts of the brain and how good that is for us, um, getting into the habitual part of it. Um, and then, of course, the organization part and the front, I think the frontal lobe, I don't know, um, the hippocampus back there, Zach being activated and I'm like, oh, this is all good. I don't want my brain to start slacking off. That's right. I'm certainly forgetful now more than I used to be. So, so another good reason. So I, it, yeah, it's just, I think life is very much a self-expression and, and art is self-expression and self-portrait. You did a series about Cairns. Yes. And if art is about self-portraiture, then what does that reflect about you? Yeah, well, certainly about, you know, find, I mean, we could go right to the obvious, finding direction. <laughs> I mean, I could say that. I also just love the forms, um, the way they stacked, um, and then how they were just a vehicle to play with again, how they vary. And I love them against the contrast of the more design-oriented backgrounds, with whether it was stripes or I started into these wild um, backgrounds against the cairns and the color interaction. Um, but, you know, I, I do love nature. I've always enjoyed cairns. I take pictures of them when I'm out hiking. Um, like at Acadia, I got some great ones with my portrait lens and got all excited and on top of Cadillac. Um, and I, that's a series I probably will revisit too. So, but, but I lived in two homes and, you know, product divorce. So my master's theory, uh, thesis was about that, about um, memory, identity, dislocation, presence and absence. absence. Um, so very much about finding home. Um, yeah. So then my whole bird series had topographical lines behind it as well. But again, I love the design, the contrast of the bird, the, the realism against that abstraction. I always... When I looked at, see, what you've just described is something that, that is so interesting to me because it's not obviously what I bring to the Cairns or what I brought to the pieces I was looking at of yours. And I've always thought of it as sort of humans talking to each other through these ancient things, these these stones yes. and stacking them in a way like this is this is the way I have found. Maybe this is a way that would be helpful to you as well, but like these really um, kind of primal messages that mm. are being left for us along the way. That gave me chills when you said that. I love that too. Absolutely. And I, I think on some level I, I'm drawn to them for that reason too. It is amazing. Like here, here's this message left by somebody else, you know, go this way. This is the, this is the path. Often we veer off it, right? But <laughs> yeah. And then the beauty, just the, old, you know, the earth, the rock, the, and what we use, we've used to help it, help us guide ourselves. Mm. That's fun. I, it's interesting to, to hear different interpretations. Well, doesn't it also make you think of that? Is it bubble rock, the one that's in Acadia that kind of sits by itself on the top of the mountain? There's the bubbles. The bubbles. Well, there's a rock that just sits by itself. Oh. And it's a big round rock. And it sits at the oh. top of a hiking path. Okay. And it looks as if some giant just came along yeah. and said, I'm going to put this here. Yeah. And I, I love that idea, too, that there's yes. this large force. And, of course, it's glaciers, not, yeah. not likely giants, because I don't think we've Glacial found erratic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then here here it is. And yeah. It, uh, it looks like it's so temporary, but it's been there yeah. 
for a very, very long time. Yes. So that kind of interesting contrast between yeah. um, sort of uncertainty and solidity. Yeah, it's great. Will you write my artist statement when I do my next Karen series? <laughs> I, I feel like you actually, you've got a pretty good sense it. of your own. You'll probably do it. Yeah. But I, I do often come from an internal place. Is Coming back around to when you first asked me about the Karens, um, it is about like finding direction, finding my place, finding my grounding, my home. My, yeah. Well, and that's why, you know, when I think about even my sisters who, um, with their clay, the, the fact that they were like, Oh, I like this clay so much, and I'm so confident in my own abilities. I'm just gonna keep making stuff. I'd like get I some more that. clay for myself. And so there's something about that that I also, even at the time, was like, I, I wish I had that connection. Yes. I wish I had that ability yeah. to then be willing to make the pinch pots the way yeah. that they were doing it. Yeah. And that always, I've always found that really appealing. And and honestly, with my twin sisters, amazing. Their amazing sense of confidence. And I think the fact that they themselves were twins and that yeah. energy yes. kind of just propelled them forward in a way. Yeah. And you being firstborn, I mean, that is such a classic thing. You feel the responsibility. You're supposed to do it right. You know, you were, you know, these are expensive. You're thinking about all that. They're not thinking about any of that. They like they don't have that over over them. I think it'd be great if you did some pottery now. I, I feel like I've got to come back to it, right? It's time. Yes. And that's so good. It's so tactile and fluid and just use as much as you need. Yes. Yes. Well, clearly I've got some some art to be doing. And yeah. I, I really appreciate your taking the time to talk with me today. Absolutely. And I hope that I will get to see you on an upcoming um, Portland Art Gallery opening, perhaps. Yes. I love going to them and I will be there. Very good. Thank you so much, Lisa. Yeah, thank you. I'm Dr. Lisa Belial, and I have been speaking today with artist Liz Prescott. You can find her work at the Portland Art Gallery. You have been listening to or watching Radio Maine. <laughs>